Thank you for inviting me along again uh, today. But as I was coming here and, and preparing to come here this morning, I was asking the Lord to direct my heart about what I should speak on. Um, new Year's bring new things, don't they? New resolutions are made, and some of them are broken, broken the day after we actually make the resolutions. But this morning, I was deeply encouraged as I listened to the announcements. And I think I've said this before, I'm, I'm amazed that such a small church and a young church is such a missionary church, reaching out not just to the community around about us, but also abroad. And it's wonderful to hear that you were supporting the work that Vic was involved in abroad and the testimony we've just heard this morning about these people being given so much. But also about the work that you're doing and, and providing for uh, the Glasgow shelter and, and the sleeping bags that you gave in there. It was wonderful. These are missionary works. And so it, can, uh, it supports... Uh, the feeling, the spiritual feeling I had this morning when I came amongst you that I wanted to speak to you about ministers of the new covenant. And so we're going to turn this morning to First Corinthians, sorry, Second Corinthians. I want to look at Second Corinthians and we're going to break in at verse 12. Second Corinthians verse 12. And Paul here is saying that when I came to Troas for the gospel of Christ... And uh, when a door was opened for me in the Lord, I had no rest for my spirit, not finding Titus my brother, but taking my leave of them, I went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Jesus Christ, and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. For we are a fragrance of Christ to God amongst those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one an aroma of death to death and to the other an aroma from life to life. And Paul says, who is adequate for those things? For we are not like many peddling the word of God, but as from the sincerity and as from God we speak in Christ in the sight of God. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need as some letters of commendation to you, or from you? You are a letter written in our hearts, known and read by all men, being manifested that you are a letter of Christ, cared for by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of the human heart. Such confidence we have through Christ towards God, not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God, who also made us adequate as servants of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. And I'm sure that God will add a blessing to this reading of his most precious word. Let us bow for a moment's prayer. Father, as we come to you this morning, we ask for your help in the declaration of your word, 
and presenting it so that people will understand it. And as we sow the seed of your word, we pray it will find a resting place in our hearts. To some it will be a savour of life unto life, to others a savour of death unto death. And so we pray this morning, Lord, that more than anything else, out of your word you will bring life. We thank you for the witness of this church. We thank you for those who are responsible. And we pray, Lord, that you will continue to bless them as they seek to minister for you in this community here. Now, Lord, guide our thoughts. Guide my mouth and my tongue and my words as I seek to speak your word. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The title for this message is Ministers of the New Covenant. And to help us unpack it and to understand the role of ministers of the new covenant, I want to look particularly at three things. First of all, what the covenant is. Secondly, briefly do a short comparison of the old covenant in the Old Testament and the new covenant in the New Testament. And thirdly, who are the ministers of the new covenant and what are they involved in? Okay, what is a covenant? The words of the New Testament quite literally mean new covenant. Jesus said, this is the new covenant in my blood. The word covenant means an arrangement by one party in which the other party involved could either accept it or reject it, but could never change it. The word covenant itself quite simply means in this context an unchangeable pledge or bond. In the Old Testament, primarily God records dealings with Israel based on the covenant given to Moses at Mount Sinai. The New Testament describes the new arrangement of God with the dealings of God through men, through Christ based on the new covenant. The Old Covenant reveals the holiness of God and the righteous standard of the law, the Ten Commandments, and promised a coming Redeemer. But the New Covenant is revealed in the New Testament with the following distinctive detail. First, we have the person of the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself a ransom for many and for the remission of sins. Jesus said, For this is my blood, of the covenant which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. So when Jesus died on the cross, he shed his blood, which became a full and absolute and complete atonement for the sins of the world. And I want to say to you this morning, if you're here, <coughs> excuse me, if you're here this morning and you've never had your sins forgiven, if you're here this morning and you've never entered into this new covenant, this new life relationship with Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you to do so. Hear the voice of God speaking to you. You're not lost. You're dead. That's what the Bible says. For when we were dead in our trespasses and in our sins. And I think I said it here before and I want to say it again because it's worthy of repetition. When Christ died on the cross... He didn't die to make bad men good or good men better. He died to make dead men and women live. And he wants you to become alive in him this morning. And that's the crux of the new covenant. That's the crux of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Secondly, the people of the new covenant are the church. They are those who have received Christ as their saviour and who have evidenced the change in their lives by the receiving of Christ. Paul says this, and I've quoted this before too, and I want to make it um, uh, absolutely certain this morning that a new person in Jesus Christ is a changed person. They're not someone who lives the old life they were living previously. Paul says, if any man or woman be in Christ, they're a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. And so the central theme of the New Testament and New Covenant is the salvation of mankind. The Gospels introduce the Saviour. The Acts of the Apostles speak of the spread of the good news of salvation through faith in Christ alone over a large area of the Mediterranean AD in the first century. The Epistles tell of the blessings of salvation and the book of Revelation previews and looks forward to that great climax of history when the salvation of the church will be complete and every blood-bought child of God will live in eternal bliss. Is that something to look forward to? Amen. Amen. I'm looking forward to that day when the climax of history will come upon us and the church of Jesus Christ will live in eternal bliss. No longer will we be subject to the things that we are subject to down here. Sin. Death, sickness, illness. And I've been hearing this morning about a lot of the illnesses in the church and what we've endured in our own church. And some are recovering and some of you are recovering here and we're thankful to God for that. But when we get to live in heaven in glory with the Lord Jesus Christ, there will be none of those things. For the Bible reminds us that all of these former things will have passed away. And we will live in an eternal state of bliss with our Lord Jesus Christ. What a day that's going to be. Well, I now want to look briefly with you at the differences between the Old and the New Covenants. The Old Covenant was given by Moses at Mount Sinai. When the New Covenant came by Jesus Christ. John chapter 1 and verse 17. If you're taking notes, just write these verses down. The Old Covenant exposes sin. That was the law given by Moses on tablets of stone. The Ten Commandments. If you think of the Ten Commandments and think of, of these words. You shall not commit adultery. How many of us have committed adultery? You shall not lie. You shall not steal. But when men and women are confronted with the law of God, it pricks their conscience and they're convicted of sin. That's what the, the old covenant did. It brought a conviction of sin to people. But it couldn't change them. And so the old covenant exposes sin, Galatians 3 and 19. While the new covenant cleanses us from sin, Romans 4 verse 1 to 8. The old covenant can give life. 2 Corinthians 3 and 7, while the new covenant gives life, Galatians 3 and 11 and chapter 6 verse 8. The old covenant brings a curse which is death. You and I will die eventually and that's because of Adam's sin and Eve's sin in the garden of Eden. They failed God. God said do not partake of the tree of life. And the devil got to Eve and convinced her to take and she took and as a result death was passed upon all men and as a result all have sinned and fallen short of the glorious 
standard of the living God. In the old covenant, living is by being obedient to the law. And nobody, without exception, could live absolutely in obedience to the law. I don't know anybody that could live according to the Ten Commandments. In this world today, there's, I think, about 2,000 road rules that we've got to obey as we're driving along the road. When you go onto the seaway, there's over 3,000 rules for seamen to make sure that they stand by. In the airways, there's so many more thousands of rules in the airways that the pilots have to abide by as they travel over the world. God gave us ten rules to live by and we cannot live by them. Why? Because of the nature of sin within us. We want to do our own thing. We want to go our own way. We want to be our own person. And in the words of the great man himself, I did it my way. And that's the theme. And that's, that's the, the, the objective of most people in this world. They want to do their own thing. They want to do it their own way. The Old Covenant has many high priests. In the Old Testament, the, the high priest would enter into the Holy of Holies, the holiest of all, and make sacrifice for sins, for the sins of the nation of Israel. But the New Covenant has only one high priest, our Lord Jesus Christ. And he's seated at the right hand of the Father. He made full atonement for sins once and for all and forever. There is no more offering for sin. Then the old covenant remembers sin, Hebrews 10 and 3, while the new covenant does not remember sin. When we come under the new covenant and we yield ourselves to the person of Christ and throw ourselves upon the mercy of God listen to what the word of God says your sins and your iniquities will I remember no more forever isn't that wonderful I'm glad that my sins are forgiven past, present and future it matters not when your sins were committed it matters not how deep rooted they are it doesn't matter what kind of sins they are God is a merciful God and if we cast ourselves on the mercy of God acknowledging that we are sinners he will save us by his grace and he will forgive all of our sins forever and ever and ever. Hallelujah. What a wonderful saviour. In the old covenant the ark of the covenant was present as a sign of salvation while under the law the new covenant salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. In the old covenant atonement for sin was done yearly while under the new covenant forgiveness and the washing away of sin was done once and for all by Christ's atoning sacrifice. And so, this is the message that we as ministers of the new covenant are commissioned by the Lord Jesus Christ to proclaim to men and women who are dead in their trespasses and in their sins. Let's move on. Who then are ministers of the new covenant? Let me make this quite clear. Every blood-bought child of God is a minister of the new covenant. Let me say that again. Every blood-bought child of God, if you're saved by God's grace, you're a minister of the new covenant. Everyone who has repented and turned from their sin and has been converted to Jesus Christ to a greater or lesser degree is a minister of the new covenant. Now, 
No, not everyone is called to preach. Not everyone is called to teach the word of God. But there are those whom God has given the gift of teaching and preaching. However, don't think because you're not gifted in that way that you're excluded from the task. On the contrary, we're all called to be witnesses. You remember these words of the Lord Jesus to the disciples at this, just prior to the establishment of the New Testament church. You shall be my witnesses in Judea, in Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. And what then is a witness? To be a witness is to testify of something that has happened. To tell the truth about what you have experienced. Ask someone who's been to a court as a witness. And so it is for the person who has been converted to Jesus Christ. You are to testify of the transforming power of God in your life. It may be at school. It may be at university. It may be at college. It may be in the clubhouse. It may be to a friend or to a neighbour. It may be to a family member. But essentially, you're holding forth the word of life. And you're ministering to the need of that person with the gospel of Jesus Christ. One time I was in hospital. Going back to November 2014, I had a heart attack. I was transferred up to uh, Herr Meyer's Hospital, Eastville Bride. And there was a, a small ward, I think, with about eight or ten patients. And there was a woman there. And she had been in and had an angiogram. And she came back out and she was breaking her heart because they told her that she, there was nothing they could do for her. She was over 80 years of age. She was dying. She was too weak to undergo an operation. Stents were insufficient to fix the problem in her heart. She needed a transplant. She needed open heart surgery. And she was in desperate situation. I went over to her bedside and I read to her Psalm 23 and I said to her Davina are you a Christian? she says I go to church I said do you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your saviour? what do you mean? I said you've told me that you're getting ready to die if you die will you go to be with the Lord Jesus in heaven? she says oh I don't know I said, I want you to reflect on two parts of this psalm. The psalmist said, the Lord is my shepherd. He knew the Lord as his shepherd. I want to ask you this morning, do you know the Lord as your shepherd? And right at the very end of that psalm, he says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Do you know the Lord as your shepherd? And are you going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever? And she said, no, I, I'm not. I said, I want to pray with you. And I prayed with her that the Lord would touch her heart and give her peace in the circumstances that she found herself in. But also that she would find peace, the only kind of peace that comes through trusting in the blood of Christ. And that she would ask God for forgiveness. When I was finished praying, I opened my eyes and I looked up at her. The tears had been running down her cheeks and she looked up and she says, Robert, I believe. <laughs> I believe. Thank you. I believe. She had never seen it before. It was that simple. It was so simple. She realized at that moment in time that she needed a savior. She needed David Shepherd. 
She needed the confidence to know that she was going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What about you this morning? There was a simple witness to an individual person. You can do that as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't need to be a preacher of the word of God. And I'm going to come to the confidence that God will give you just in a moment as we, as we consider these things. What about your journey of faith? How are you living your life as a Christian? It's interesting that Paul was being led step by step by the Lord. He said, a door was opened to me in the Lord. Are you being directed by the Holy Spirit? How often do you ask God for guidance? Is your heart in tune with God's mind and will? Or are you just making your way through life doing your own thing? This is quite a challenge to us as believers. I am challenged every day because as I read the word of God, I read that I've got to become more like Christ. And so when things come my way that are not of God, I have to step aside from them and say, No Lord, give me the grace and the strength to overcome and reject these things that are not of you. And that's moving towards holiness in God. That's becoming more like the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul says in Romans chapter 8. That we are being conformed into the image of his son. I was once asked how does God speak to you and I said this. I replied primarily through his word but there are times when God speaks to me through his Holy Spirit. There are times when I hear the voice of God. Now people think that's strange. But that's what the Bible says. Jesus said my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life. And they shall never perish. Do you hear the voice of the Lord Jesus, the shepherd, leading you as one of his sheep and giving you direction? I hope so. We've got to listen to the voice of How does the voice of God come to us? It comes to us through his word. When we read his word, when that becomes indelibly impregnated in our minds, and we travel a certain path, you will discover that God speaks to you and directs your heart in accordance with his word. Well, Paul had planned to rendezvous with Titus at Troas and uh, learn of the Corinthian situation and the reaction to his letter. Now, Paul had written a letter, the first epistle of Corinthians, to the Corinthian church. And he'd spent 18 months building this church up and they were a bunch of vagabonds. They really were. They were rogues. If you had to put up the rogues gallery, if you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, you will read there. But such were some of you. What were they? They were prostitutes. They were murderers. They were adulterers. They were fornicators. They were alcoholics. Everything under the sun is listed in that uh, gallery of rogues. But Paul says, such are some of you. You have been washed. You have been cleansed. Isn't that wonderful? The cleansing power of the Lord Jesus Christ in the life of individuals. But Paul left Troas. A door had been opened to him there for the gospel. And here's something else which I was interested in. Paul left Troas to search for Titus in Macedonia. And he found him in Philippi. And Paul says that he brought the good news. What was the good news? 
that the letter that Paul had written to the Corinthian church, the first epistle, had been gratefully received. And it says there that Paul would, uh, was strengthened by that. Now, I want you to think about this. The Bible tells us here that Paul was stressed out. Paul was really worried about Titus. What about you and me? Are there times when our spirits are anxious about something? How do we resolve that anxiety? Paul was comforted in two ways. First of all, by the miraculous meeting with Titus. And secondly, by the response of the Corinthians to his letter. I was interested in what Graham said this morning. And I want to reinforce it. When you look around you in the church, is there someone missing? Paul left his ministry and chose to go searching for Titus because he was worried about him. He didn't know where he had got to. And so he went to Macedonia and amongst hundreds of thousands of people within hundreds of miles all of a sudden he comes upon Titus. Isn't that miraculous? This is God's doing. And I want to say to you this morning, don't underestimate the incidences that happen in your life. Because in these circumstances, God is working and bringing things together and working all things together in accordance with his will. And that's what he did with Paul and Titus. He brought them together. It was a miracle in the midst of all that. No telephone, no emails. No Facebook to look at. Couldn't trace them. But by the Spirit of God, they were reunited. What about the care we show for others? Paul was so concerned about the failed rendezvous with Titus that he broke off from this ministry in Troas. Is there someone missing from their seat in church today? Not just someone from your close circle of friends. Maybe someone out with your close circle of friends. How long have they been missing? Could you go and visit them? Could you phone them? Could you just send them a message? Could you just send them a wee basket of flowers that we heard this morning? I tell you, what a difference it makes. This is part of the ministry of the new covenant. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 25 and 26, So that there may, may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. As if one member suffers, all members suffer. If one member is honoured, then all the members should rejoice with them. If we are important to God, and we are, we must be important to each other sufficiently enough to show our love and care for one another. And for those members especially who are sick or troubled in their spirit. Okay, let's move on. Paul talks about being led in triumph. How do you find one person among hundreds of thousands of people when he could be any place within hundreds of miles? Paul felt that finding Titus was a miracle. Such a small thing, yet it was such a great thing because God was behind it. Only God could have led them together. When God is at work, there are no coincidences. Let's always remember that. 
Remembering God's sovereign care, Paul bursts into praise in verse 14. But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph. Realising that present triumph allowed Paul to see that God was leading him in Christ's triumph. Even in the days when the dark prince of death stopped him. Read um, chapter 1 of this epistle, verse 8 to 11. And in his concern for the Corinthians and then for Titus. Saints of God, victory, not defeat, can be the norm in the Christian life. God sees every believer as being in Christ, whom he raised from the dead and seated at his right hand, far above all principality and power. Ephesians 1, 20 and 21. Because he is the victor and we are in him, Therefore we too can be victorious over every situation in our life because God sees us in Christ Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? What about Paul's knowledge of Christ in every place? The second part of this verse 14 indicates that Christians who walk with Christ are dispersing the presence of God wherever God leads them and manifest through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. This is what we are as ministers of the new covenant to the unconverted. We are messengers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want just quickly to say this. We are messengers in two ways. Primarily by the witness of our lives. By the witness of our lips. And this is of primary importance. The gospel is the verbal proclamation of salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone. But not only by the witness of our lips, but also by the witness of our lives. I know a Christian woman who is very, very quiet. I'm sure you'll think that very unusual for a woman. I'll put on my suit of armor when I'm going out the door and shaking your hand. (laughs) Um, But she's not a public person, that's what I mean. She's not a public person, so to speak. And there are some people who are like that. We don't all have the same nature. One day I met some of her colleagues at a funeral. And they said that she was a very godly person. She was a nurse. She said... She won't engage in any filthy talk or language. In fact, she said, her witness to us by her life has been so strong that that we won't swear in front of her. There will be no dirty talk coming from her mouth in front of her. And if perchance it happens, we are quick to apologize to her. Isn't that a wonderful example of how a life is being lived without great preaching? But a woman who lives in accordance with the word of God is leaving behind her a wonderful aroma of the fragrance of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Do you know... I think there is more work done by, and I'm not trying to redeem myself here, there is more work done by women than we will ever imagine. The things that they do in helping people, supporting people, reaching out to them, is absolutely marvellous. And they're a credit to our God and Saviour. The knowledge of our God is a sweet aroma which Paul is liking is igniting rather like an incense bearer 
Note that the leading and manifesting is all of God. God, it was God who led Paul in triumph and it is God who is manifesting the knowledge of Christ through Paul and every minister of the new covenant you as well and in every place yes, even here in Scotland in this place called Middlesbrough. let me give you an illustration a robber thought he had committed a perfect crime he left no clues or so he thought what he didn't count on was something, someone remembering how he smelled. One witness did and was able to identify the sub suspect because of something he had left behind. We are leaving something wherever we go. Not odours, but our influence. If you're a Christian, you've been called by God to let your life's influence make a favourable impression on others. Even people who do not know you personally, in the office, at home, in the supermarket, in the school, is your influence Christ-like? Do people know you because of your kind comments, your loving concern, your generous spirit, your respect for others? If not, what you're leaving behind is an influence that's worse than the telltale odour of the robber who got caught. A heart kindled by the love of God will flow with the sweet attracting aroma of our Lord. And that's the kind of influence that we need to leave behind which will make it easy for others to come to faith in Jesus Christ. I want to move quickly on. Let's look at Paul's adequacy. Verse 16, 17. Since life and death rest... In our sharing of the gospel, Paul says, who is sufficient for these things? How can a mortal fail to be conscious of his own inadequacy? I am constantly, constantly reminded of my own inadequacy. When he knows what the results of his message will bring to people. The answer is that no one in themselves is sufficient. No minister of God is sufficient in himself. None of us is equal to the task of representing Christ. Our adequacy can only come from God. He has commissioned us. He has sent us. He has given us the Holy Spirit to enable us to speak of Christ's power. He keeps his hand on us, protecting us as we work for him. So if we realize that God makes us competent and useful, we can share as ministers of the new covenant with confidence, no matter how inadequate we may feel. Apparently, there were many people using the word of God for their own benefit. Paul writes about this. They were peddling the word of God. The word peddling can be translated as trading. Many claim self-sufficiently within themselves for the task, but they have no divine call. They have no divine gift. They have no divine anointing. They have never been converted to Jesus Christ. I remember reading a report of some of the Billy Graham Crusades when ministers discovered they weren't saved and they came to faith in Jesus Christ. We are not to distort or corrupt God's word. We can't bargain with it. You can't offer it at cut rate. You can't make it more acceptable. It is already God's word of grace. 
But it is also the word of his lordship of Jesus Christ and a word of damnation to those who reject it. By way of contrast, Paul uses an emphatic conjunction here to show that he is exercising his ministry not with human sincerity. But in the sight of God, he says, we speak in Christ. He did not speak with sincerity, for he can be sincerely wrong. He spoke while abiding in Christ. And Christ specifies he is in God's will, by God's calling, by God's gifting. The message is clear. We must avoid diluting or adulterating the word of life, which is designed to bring life to every man and women who will receive Christ as their saviour let me finish this last section very quickly <coughs> chapter 3 verses 1 to 6 Paul is asking here do I need a recommendation from my employer do I need a letter from God testifying that I am his minister and he concludes this no he says I do not Paul says to the Corinthians you are our epistles written in our hearts, known and read of all men, the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer was sufficient recommendation for Paul's ministry. Consequently, and this is important, the demonstration of life in Christ, in the life of the believer, or in the life of the church, is the testimony of God that is sufficient recommendation in itself when we come to verses 4 and 5 Paul's confidence rests in Christ not in human resources he credits God with all the accomplishments giving God the glory and that's what we are supposed to do and so we must do verse 5 teaches us again that our, our adequacy is out of the fullness of God's amazing grace begone self-confidence Begone self-competence. Begone our own strength and power. I stand before you today, not dependent on myself, but dependent on the Spirit of God, taking the Word of God into your heart and bringing it to life. <coughs> and finally, verse 6 says that Paul's new covenant ministry was not empowered by a legalistic letter, but by the power of God's Spirit. Who also made us adequate, he says, as servants of the new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives us life. It is the permanent covenant, the new covenant. Not established with the blood of repeated animal sacrifices, but established in the once and for all sacrifice of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. That's the message we proclaim. This new covenant, and I'm going to repeat this, this new covenant is the last will and testament of Jesus Christ, our Saviour and Lord. You got that? This new covenant is the last will and testament of Jesus Christ, our Saviour and Lord. As we follow our calling and live in the Spirit, Christ makes us competent in our service for him. Is your inadequacy, your competence, your confidence in God, who has written a love letter upon your heart? 
Is the Spirit revealing it to the world through you as a minister of the new covenant? Is your confidence and competence in yourself? Then you're living under the law and not under grace. If you are under the law, you will be judged according to the law. But if you are under grace, the law within you is fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. <coughs> May we as individuals and as a church find Christ's spirit to be our adequacy in all things. Enabling each one of us to live out Christ's righteousness in our lives. This must be the motive, the mission and the ministry of each and every one of us as ministers of the new covenant. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, we come to you this morning again in the wonderful name of our Saviour. We thank you for your word. There is nothing like it. We remember the psalmist could say, Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. And so we pray that we will take your word and hide it in our hearts. And that as we move and share and witness with others a good confession of Jesus Christ, that that word will come to life, that souls will be quickened, that we will not see that savour of death unto death. We know that ultimately it will happen because you have declared it. But Lord, that we will see souls for our hire, the word of God being a savour of life unto life. Men and women being drawn by the power of the Holy Spirit to the foot of that blood-stained cross to repent of their sin and acknowledge Christ as their Saviour. And for believers, Lord, we just pray that you will strengthen us, encourage us, give us the giftings that you desire us to have so that we can magnify your name be an encouragement to others and extend your kingdom. Hear our prayers this day, Lord, for we honour you and serve you as we give you thanks in the wonderful name of our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.